Dar Williams is one of my favorite singer-songwriters, and one of her many memorable songs is titled, I Won't Be Your Yoko Ono. As a feminist, she questions that often one-sided criticism that Yoko Ono should be blamed for distracting John Lennon from his career as a musician. Williams challenges us to consider the opposite perspective when she sings, I wonder if Yoko Ono ever thought of staying solo, if she doubted John Lennon, worrying that he would distract her art. In the background of this song is Williams' experience as a student at Wesleyan University. During her time at that historic liberal arts college in Connecticut, she experienced a huge amount of peer pressure. Now, when we often think of peer pressure, we think of people you know, pressuring others to do drugs, have sex, smoke cigarettes, right? Uh, various vices. Well, her experience of, was peer pressure to be avant-garde. As opposed to doing things in the traditional way, she says, we felt like we always had to be as postmodern as possible in everything we did. That meant constantly experimenting with new ideas, new ways of dressing, unorthodox ways of being in the world, like a unicorn, for example. William says that she can remember walking down the stairs and thinking, I can't just walk down the stairs like normal. Let me walk on the outside of the stairs. Let's try that. Or seeing someone pick up a pipe and say, this isn't a pipe, it's a musical instrument. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Or, that's not a bag, it's a shirt. And as fun and fascinating as that sort of atmosphere can be, she confesses that it was also relentless. There was this constant pressure to innovate. Around that time, she and her friends saw Yoko Ono perform an interactive piece of conceptual art in which members of the audience were invited to cut off pieces of her clothing. You can see this on YouTube, or some of you may have seen it. And they were all enraptured. They said to themselves, brilliant, brilliant. And that piece inspired one of her friends to experiment with an outdoor piece of performance art of his own in which he said, now, I'm not sure what's exactly supposed to happen, but show up at this time and everyone wear yellow. And so they did, and just as they were beginning, a yellow school bus drove by and they said, oh, brilliant, brilliant, who am I, what is art? Williams is, of course, gently satirizing this worldview. After all, she has grown up to become a professional artist uh, who makes her living creating and performing new songs. And her questions are good ones. Who am I? What is art? And reflecting on these questions, I'm reminded of the single most impressive piece of art I've ever seen. I invite you um, to consider, what is that for you? What, what was the most uh, impressive, transformative art you've ever seen? For me, almost 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to spend two weeks in Rome. And among the many impressive sights that we saw, by far the most impressive was the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Painted over the course of four years in the early 16th century by Michelangelo. Now, I've seen many uh, pictures of the Sistine Chapel over the years before and since. 
uh, but those representations in books were nothing compared to the scale of seeing it in person. Beyond brilliant, it was breathtaking. It was sublime. The, I remember walking out and just, you know, and, and often when I saw things, when I travel, I'll buy a postcard or, you know, somebody who, you know, had the opportunity to take the perfect picture of this thing. But even looking at postcards, even looking at posters of the Sistine Chapel, I just had to walk away because I was like, it's just nothing compared to seeing it in person. The Sistine Chapel ceiling is one of the peaks of high Renaissance art. It's a magnificent achievement uh, in grandeur. From another perspective, though, um, one could, and it has been legitimately criticized in its content for not being the most innovative thing of all time, if we're really honest. The scale is amazing. The, what it actually depicts is maybe an especially fine example among, honestly, many, many other examples of religious art great religious art during the Renaissance. That being said, don't get me wrong, it's spectacular. See it, if at all possible, if you can. On the other end of the spectrum, I've also never forgotten the time, the first time that I saw Marcel Duchamp's Fountain. Uh, some of you may know this work. Um, when you free associate with the word fountain, if you're anything like me, you may think of you know, spectacular fountains with water flowing and jets um, streaming. Well, in 1917, Duchamp famously took a porcelain urinal. He signed it R.Mutt, M-U-T-T, with a marker and submitted it to an art show. And although I found Duchamp's fountain to be, shall we say, less sublime than the Sistine Chapel... Both pieces of art actually blew me away the first time that I saw them, albeit in different ways. In Duchamp's day, there were, of course, many urinals in the men's room of the museum where it was first hung, that no one was arguing those urinals were works of art. So did that particular urinal become art through the act of an artist placing it on a gallery wall? According to some, it was a radical act of creativity. That's not a pipe. It's a musical instrument. That's not a bag. That's a shirt. Uh, that's not a urinal. It's a sculpture, a piece of found art. According to others, it was not a paradigm-shifting democratization of art, but offensive, tacky kitsch. But Duchamp is one of those classic examples of wrestling with the ways that what we do and don't consider art is less predetermined and often more socially constructed. And there's much more to say about that, about the history of art, about the philosophy of aesthetics. And if you're curious to learn more, one of my favorite introductions to this area is a short, accessible book titled Is It Art? by the philosophy professor Cynthia Freeland. And while I don't want to propose that we turn UUCF into some pressure cooker where we all feel a relentless pressure to be creative like Dar Williams experienced at Wesleyan, I would like to say at least a few words about how we can each experiment, if we choose, with the spiritual practice of creativity. And I would invite you to consider that creativity is a spiritual practice. It's a way of channeling that which is beyond us, birthing new things into the world um, at the intersection of the sacred and the secular.
And this is an auspicious time of year for just such an experiment. We're now more than a week past Groundhog's Day, which the pagan tradition calls in bulk, that cross-quarter day that is precisely in between winter solstice, when the darkest day of the year, and spring equinox, when we'll have equal parts day and dark. We have passed the tipping point toward spring. And even though some ice remains on the ground, we will soon see nature burst forth into bloom. And I don't know if if spring is like this for you, but for me, every single year, it is more amazing than I remember in the detail, in the abundance of it all. And we can see this as an invitation to experiment with our own creativity. Along those lines, if you are feeling drawn to experiment with creativity in this season of your life, I strongly recommend the book, The Complete Artist's Way. It's now a trilogy by Julia Cameron. Uh, Earlier, Laura mentioned one of the two core practices that are part of the artist's way. It's called Morning Pages. So it's a stream of consciousness, totally uncensored uh, way of writing longhand that helps free you and Uh, move from the blank page to get things flowing. So morning pages are one. The other is a weekly practice. That's a daily practice, a weekly practice called an artist date. So to give you a taste of what that looks like, I'll give you a few examples, but there are many more of them. And if any of these particularly resonate with you, I invite you to actually get out your calendar, whatever you use, and put some artist dates on the calendar for yourself in the coming days or weeks or months. Here's a few examples. Take a long, leisurely walk around your neighborhood and really notice everything around you. Spend extra time with anything that particularly stands out to you. Spend a few hours in a bookstore. Use it as your own personal book museum. Pull out your old school yearbooks. Be horrified. No. (laughs) No. Pull them out and remember what, your, what you and your friends were like back then. Remember the things that just really brought you joy, made you feel fully alive as a child or as a teenager or a young person, and pick one to do again. Play with Play-Doh. Get some chalk and draw all over the sidewalk. Or visit a flea market, a thrift store, a craft store, a garage sale. Notice which items resonate with you and do something playful or creative with them or in response. Those are only a few of many possible examples. For now, regarding the profound connection that I think there is between art and religion, between making art and making meaning. I'll close by inviting you to hear Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel's response to an interviewer who asked him, if, what message would you give to young people if you only had one minute? This is what he said. And as you listen to these words, I invite you to keep in mind the ways that creativity can manifest in us not only when we're young, but at any age, in any season of our life. Heschel said, I would say let them remember that there is meaning beyond absurdity, even if it is only the meaning that we create. Let them be sure that every deed counts, that every word has power, and that we must each do our share to redeem the world. And that in spite of all absurdities and all the frustrations and all the disappointments, above all, remember that the meaning of life 
is to live life as if it were a work of art. And if we choose, that's precisely what it is and can be. So as we go into the days and the weeks to come, I invite you to continue to reflect on what is art? How might you make art in all the various ways? It's not just visual art, which is remarkable, but dance and music and you know, so architecture and gardening and so, so many other um, mediums uh, within uh, the ways creativity can manifest. So to think about the, and the ways that you can literally make your life to be a work of art, of creativity, of of being open to improvisation. So in that spirit, may you continue your journey in creativity, but may you shape that creativity with love. Continue your journey with love. Uh, May you continue your journey with justice and peace as well. And as you go, whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, of peace or joy, whatever glimpse you've had into how you might bring more creativity into your life, that goes with you into the world. We're different for having spent this time together. So may you live boldly and with thanksgiving.